All right. A little bit of background. My wife and I have been coming here to Harvest for uh, 16 years now. Almost 16 years, not quite 16 years. And, um, um, you know, I've always had, um, I always felt that the, the biblical history that includes more or less 6,000 years, um, I felt that was right, but I didn't really ever have um, any way to defend it or any thoughts to about how you would defend the biblical timeline versus um, the evolutionary view. And, uh, you know, you're inundated uh, with this evolutionary view throughout all of your educational system. Um, it's dominating. And there's some reasons uh, for that. Uh, we'll, we'll really start to dig in a little bit um, uh, tonight. But, you know, how, how as a Christian do you defend against this evolutionary worldview when all of this information is out there all the time and stated as fact that we know this and this is what we know and this is how it started and it's like, you don't know anything. But, you know, most of, for most of my uh, history here, um, my technical response uh, to the evolutionist view would have been, nuh-uh, <laughs> right? It's about as good as I had. And then, um, then uh, one night, uh, I, I, don't, I think it was a Wednesday night, actually, uh, Pastor Lance was given a, a lesson that uh, really supported the young earth view and included this discussion about dinosaurs. And um, I was sitting there listening and paying attention. It's like, how come you never hear, hear this stuff? Right? Humans lived alongside dinosaurs. And there's all kinds of real evidence for that far better than the garbage of millions of years. And how come I never heard that anywhere? Right? And so um, the problem for me is that kind of got me hooked. And I get this bug and this passion to look at the real science. Because we actually, we do a lot of science at our office. Um, so there's a whole lot of um, scientific method and uh, research that we do. And, um, but, you know, you never hear a good biblical perspective. But when you start digging in, and there's all these fields of science, and the more you dig, the more you find out that the science far better supports a young earth view than it does millions or billions of years. And it's ridiculous. And it's, but what's even more interesting is how willing so-called scientists are to ignore the evidence that points to a young earth because that's not the view that they want. So you got to start thinking about that. So, um, anyhow, um, I ended up uh, getting this bug of wanting to know more about this science, and it became a hobby. And uh, much to the dismay of my uh, wonderful wife, um, I am always reading and looking at uh, videos and things that have to do with uh, cosmology, physics, and all this stuff that she has absolutely no interest in. <laughs> and then, uh, but I'm like, yeah, no, you know, I'll be sitting there. I'll even be sitting and working and listening to the scientific articles and her eyes will glass over. And she's like, can we turn this off? Right. I'm like, you don't hear this. Isn't this great? And no. So, um, for those of you who don't have the same passion about science, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so, 
Um, well, okay, maybe. So uh, before we dive in uh, to this, I want to talk, tonight I want to talk about some recent science that really um, adds even more pressure to this evolutionary view. And um, it really does a great job of, of well, you know, we believers don't even have to say much because the evidence is so in their face. Uh, but uh, let's start out with, um, by grounding ourselves with the words of um, the Apostle Paul. Uh, you know, and the title of this slide says, God ma has made himself known through his creation. Romans uh, chapter 1 is, is such a powerful chapter, and really starting in verse 19, but in verse 20, um, the Apostle Paul says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Ouch. That's a powerful statement, basically saying everybody understands that there's a God. So how is it that we have all of this no God story? Well, creation itself proves that there is a God. And the problem is, this is where, where it starts. If there's a God, we're accountable to that God. We're accountable to that God for everything that we do. That God who created us and wants us to know him is going to hold us accountable. And so we can pretend that there is no God. Does that excuse us from accountability? It doesn't, right? Because we have eternal accountability to our great God. So this is what people hate. They hate that they have to be accountable to this creator. And so uh, they don't want to be accountable. And so they need something that makes them feel better. Remember on Sunday, uh, Pastor Doug talked to us about these uh, emotions. What were the emotions they talked to us about? Shame and guilt. Great emotions. God-given emotions, right? And so there's a, this guilt that plagues people. And to ease their guilt... What they want, what they need is a story that doesn't involve a God. It has to be a, quote, no God story. And so um, if there's no God, then there's no accountability, right? And so people, they, they crave this. And because that's what they want when they don't want to know God, even though they know God is proven by Paul, they got to come up with something else. Romans 1.21, the next verse says, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. And so those atheists, these scientists, they don't want to be accountable to God. And so um, they don't give him honor. Uh, they don't give him thanks, and they become futile in their speculations. And my goodness, there's so much speculation out there, even and especially today after all this new data has uh, come to pass. Since everything uh, seen must have come from somewhere, something, someone, these no-God stories, um, there's really three options. There's only three options. 
Either everything is eternal, so it's always existed, um, or everything came from nothing, despite the fact that that violates every principle of science, it's a story that says, okay, there's no God. So having it come from nothing is better, and, and having it violate every law of science that we know is better than a creator to them, right? And number three is it's the combination of those. So it's some infinite loop that goes from everything to nothing to everything to nothing, right? And those are the answers. And by the way, even with the, the new evidence, the new data that's out there, what, are the, what is the conclusion going to be for these same people? Are they going to find God? Are they going to let the evidence convince them? Of course not. They're not. They're going to come up with other supports, other patches to fix their theories, to fix their story, their no-God story. So this is the basis for evolution. And, um, and the Big Bang Theory is cosmic evolution, right? So it's a story that doesn't involve God that explains how everything came to be, right? And that's what they want more than anything. It also means that um, people who have chosen this no God path, they're not going convince, to be convinced about anything. Uh, their answer will always be an answer that has no God. They'll never be convinced. Unless, of course, our great God saves them and pulls them out of their, their, uh, their death, their state of death. And then uh, Romans uh, 1, 22 and 23, professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And now this God that they call nature. Right? Ever notice when, uh, when you watch some documentaries, um, they just take out God and they replace it with nature. Nature did this. Okay, so that's, the name you're using for God, except you don't want to admit the true God. But you know there's a God. It's still the same. So a little bit of, uh, more background. Um, most professed Christians, and maybe even some of us here, um, we've been inundated from birth about these no-God stories, evolution and cosmic evolution or the Big Bang. And um, these are some of the... the uh, scientific looking drawings the one on the top is i know it's small and you can't really see it but basically it's this story that says everything that exists came from the first single-celled organism and that evolved and became the next thing and it evolved and became the next thing and all these things branched off and ultimately we had everything that we observe today right exactly what we can observe in this day and age, right? We, we see single cell organisms becoming humans and becoming monkeys. No, right? That's garbage. We don't see any of that. You can't observe any of this. And, you know, it's not surprising to us that it's completely lacking from the geologic record. There's no transition species that exist out there. And then um, they come up with this similar story of the start of the universe, the uh, evolution of the universe. And that means, okay, they have this, everything comes from nothing, okay? Just let's overlook that part for a second. 
And then um, in order to meet the data that we observe, which is this thing called cosmic microwave background radiation. Okay, a lot of big words, but um, they're trying to fit the data, their story to the data that they observe. And so they change the mathematics and they invent math and they invent patches. And one of the patches that they had to invent is this thing called inflation. What inflation is, is it's where the universe expanded faster than the speed of light. So it was first slower than the speed of light, then it was faster than the speed of light, and then it slowed back down. And uh, oh, by the way, do you know that today the universe is expanding faster than the speed of light? So it, it's slow, faster, slower, faster. Which is it? Right. How does that, how do those physics work? I, I really want to know. And they can, they come up with this story and they call it inflation. Well, tell me exactly how inflation happened. They have no idea. Tell me how it is that the universe could possibly be expanding faster than the speed of light today. No idea. Uh, dark energy. That's actually their explanation, dark energy. Can you observe dark energy? Can you capture dark energy? Can you do anything with dark energy? No, no, and no. <laughs> so, anyhow, uh, most professed Christians are completely ignorant of the processes and the assumptions that go into these, I put in parentheses, scientific theories, right? And I was until, you know, Lance um, gave me this bug. <laughs> um, most Christians uh, are basically ignorant and... Um, they're biblically ignorant, right? If you don't know God's word, how can you refute what is not God's word? And so because of that, they, they don't have the ability to refute it, but not only that, they start to buy into that garbage, right? Most Christians have only ever heard the no God perspective, and so they think that the biblical creation, the actual what the Bible says is just a myth or an allegory. And that is such a potentially fatal, and I'm talking about eternally fatal mistake. It's not good. Most professed Christians have never heard a proper scientific argument that supports a young created universe, and they are overwhelming. The data is overwhelming. And we'll talk about some of that again tonight. But I, I really like this new data because it's, it's really cool stuff. Most professed Christians, uh, they've never heard about the abundant bad science that is used to perpetuate these bad stories of billions of years. These, these uh, so-called scientific theories violate all the fundamentals of science. The first law is thermodynamics. The second law of thermodynamics. The speed of light is maximum velocity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right? The law of entropy, the conservation of mass and energy, um, and yet everything came from nothing, right? And so then they expand their theories because they can't accept a, a God answer. And so there's, now they say there's, um, there's multiple universe, a multiverse. And so it's just what happens in this universe came from another universe. And so no matter what, they're going to expand their their claims out so far that it's hard for the mind to grasp and that's good enough for them, right? Um, and most professed Christians don't recognize the problems of commingling evolution and creation. 
It's a huge problem and you can't do it. So by the way, again, if you're not a science person um, and you uh, just automatically in your mind dismiss any of this evolution nonsense as uh, anti-biblical and you can just go on your day and be happy with that, more power to you. I wish I was like that sometimes, <laughs> right? Um, because that's really all we need, right? We don't need all the scientific stuff to argue the case. All we need is our faith. But it, I think it's good to have the understanding and at least ha- know that there are people that really deeply understand this stuff and they can argue the points. And anyhow, so that uh, I think that's helpful. Um, so I often find myself um, interested in... Uh, some of these new uh, discoveries. And, um, and, and so I end up listening to an overwhelming amount of the no God stories and the, the things that are uh, pontificated that are stated as, as fact over and over and over again. It just drives me nuts. And so it, it drives me nuts when I'm trying to get to the end, right? And so my wife sits there and, and watches and she's like, what is wrong with this guy? He's getting all worked up because they're saying everything wrong, yet he's still watching this stuff, right? I'm guilty. So um, this is kind of uh, the two options. Either you believe in God or there's no God. And so there are the, what I keep on referring to as the no God th- theories or the God theories. Right? And the God theory is pretty simple because the only God theory is this one. There, actually, there are plenty of other God theories. Right, They're just a bunch of garbage. Right, This is the only one, the sound biblical Christian perspective is the only one that actually adds up. So um, if we ask the question, how did the universe begin? Depending on which side of this you're on, that's how you're going to answer Right? Because if you're on the left side, the answer is simple. Whether it's how the universe began or how life began, it's easy. God created everything. Right? No moss, no fuss. Right? But over here, if you believe there's no God, you have to have a story. And these stories have been contrived now over long periods of time and continually modified even though the fundamental theory doesn't work. So, you know, you start to look at the data and, um, you know, which includes all this stuff and, and all kinds of other stuff. The requirement on if you believe in God is that if this story is real, then it's got to be creation has to be a fairly recent event within about 6,000 years. And the data is going to have to fit that. And on the other side, well, because we need statistics and probability, and even though it still doesn't add up mathematically, we need a story that could go beyond what most minds can think of. And so billions of years. We, I, can anybody in here really comprehend a thousand years? I mean, it's hard enough to understand and comprehend a hundred years, right? Some of us may live that long. But a thousand years? Ten thousand years? A million years? See, these, these lengths of time get so far beyond what our minds can grasp. And that's how they think they win is it's beyond what the mind can comprehend. And so we'll just use these long periods of time. And they actually do then try to fit their science to those long periods of time. And even though the science doesn't make sense, that's what they do. And so um, the answers in Genesis, folks, um, they use this, this uh, diagram here 
to um, say that, you know, what we're doing, whether we come from one side or the other, we're fighting over the data. But that's actually not intellectually honest. What's happening is they're selecting data and eliminating data that they don't like and, and doesn't fit. Now, I think that happens more on the, the uh, atheistic side, but it probably happens, I'm sure, on both sides, is where you just pick the data that fits your story best, right? So in other words, you're not looking at the data to come up with an answer. You're predetermining your answer to pick your data. But isn't that how we argue? <laughs> right? Any married people? <laughs> we're, not, we're, never, we're not guilty of that, right, man? We wouldn't do that. Okay, so, uh, you know, for reference, this is a, a proper Earth history timeline. This is what I put together, and, and I've shared this before. And uh, most of the data here comes from uh, Genesis chapter 5, chapter 11, and, uh, you know, bits and pieces of the rest of Genesis. And then um, on the right side, most of that data comes from uh, Kings and Chronicles. And basically, you can just follow the dates and you can put together an entire timeline of biblical history. And, and there's some movement here and there because th- there's some overlap of the kings and so on and so forth. And so, you know, some of it you've got to guess, but you're only going to be off by, you know, five, ten, you know, maybe a hundred years when you put it all together. But not that much. And no matter what you come up with, that number is going to be pretty close to 6,000 years. And I encourage you all to do this for yourself at least some point in your life to go and pull this stuff together and, and do it for yourself. There's actually, um, there's details of, of all of the supporting data that walks you through step by step this whole timeline. It's on the HBC website somewhere. And if you want the link, I can send it to you. But better yet, just go ahead and, and pull it out for yourself. But if this is what the Bible says... The data must either, if the Bible's right, if, if it really is inerrant, then we have to go with this, right? And let me say it differently. We really don't have the luxury of believing something that is not this short timeline. Because if we do, what else can we take out of the Bible? So um, the scientific data... Um, it, it fits the biblical view far better than the evolutionary view. And so, um, you know, in the past, I've discussed a lot of uh, the scientific facts. I, I've done these types of talks because I kind of love to talk about this stuff. And it is a hobby and a passion of mine. And, and I haven't uh, had this kind of discussion in, in a couple years now. So I thought it'd be a good time. Some of you, has anybody not heard about the scientific ev- ed- evidence for a young earth in here? Anybody? Okay, wow. So nobody really has, haven't, haven't heard too much. Okay, so I've talked about a lot of scientific facts in the past about the data, the science that supports a young earth, and it includes soft tissues found in dinosaur bones. Anybody in here not ever heard that they have found, this is secular scientists who have found soft tissues in dinosaur bones. Anybody not heard that before? Okay. How's those soft tissues last 65 million years? Right? They don't. Okay? DNA still present in the dinosaur soft tissues? DNA has a half-life of 500 and some odd years. 
okay? That means that half the DNA is destroyed in 500 years. You go another 500 years to 1,000, now 25% of the DNA is left. You go to 1,500 years, so another half-life in only 12.5%. 2,000 years in only 6% of the DNA is left, and so on, right? So explain to me how that DNA can last 65 million years. And by the way, they've tried to come up with all kinds of ridiculousness, but they know the truth in their heart. So don't be fooled. Um, I've talked about the perfect conditions that are required for a planet to support life, and it's astronomically high number of things that are required for a planet to support life. And, you know, you hear these stories on the news, oh, this planet could possibly support life. They're lying to you. They're not even close. And once they actually, you start to read the article about what they found, they're projecting and pretending. It happens to be in the right zone where the temperature might be right, except gravity's massive and they don't have an oxygen atmosphere and they don't have any of the things that they need. And so um, it's just it. And the headlines are where most of the lies come out, right? So, uh, and, and like I say, the, the, if you look at the, what's called the geological mega sequence, big words, right? It's basically how all the mud is shaped across the, the continents, right? Sounds a lot easier to understand. Those sequences can only come from a global flood. There's no other way to produce those sequences. And oh, by the way, runoff after the flood. Those are the only ways to produce what we see. And it just so happens that uh, Pastor Lance and Cheryl are in uh, Utah right now. Utah is a beautiful state, and it is one of the best places to see the global flood runoff out in the West, out in the desert. Because everything's stripped from the, you you know, there's not much vegetation. And you can just see how the water carved it all out. And you can see the sequences in so many places. You know, really cool stuff. Um, new scientific data just makes it a lot more difficult um, for the no-God theorists to prop up their theories. So tonight I want to focus on two areas that are really and seriously upsetting the no-God uh, perspectives. Um, one is cosmology. So there is, I, I have seen hundreds of headlines that talk about the crisis in cosmology, right? And cosmology, which is the study of all the stars and how the, the uh, universe came into exist, existence, they're in crisis because the, the data doesn't fit their theory, right? Now it's the hundredth time that the data hasn't fit their theory, so they'll come up with something, right? So don't get too excited. Um, how many in here have not heard of the James Webb Space Telescope? Raise your hand, please. Oh boy, you're missing something, right? If, of course, you're probably not science geeks, so maybe you don't feel like you're missing something, but oh, this thing's cool. This is the James Webb Space Telescope. Um, it actually looks like that. It's got these gold-plated mirrors, and it had to fold out. And um, It was actually a, a massive technological achievement of uh, the scientists that put it together. Over a 1,000 scientists put this thing together. And it, you know, you've heard of the Hubble Space Telescope. The Hubble Space Telescope has a near-Earth orbit. This thing is like a million miles out. It's way out there. And it is, it's um, way bigger and way more powerful by far than the Hubble Space Telescope. It got launched on Christmas of 2021. It took until 
June or July of last year to get to its orbit. <laughs> That'll tell you how far out it is, right? And then they started powering it up and it had to unfold and do all these things and they had to do all these tests. And when they first uh, started to test and align the mirror, um, they were seeing these things and they thought it was, there were errors in the software or something. Well, no, it was finding distant galaxies, right? And uh, so anyhow, then once they aligned all of these uh, mirrors on there to get them just right, the, the views are orders of magnitude more impressive than the Hubble Space Telescope. So it's really cool. Um, this is actually one of the images from the, um, the James Webb Space Telescope. Now, it takes pictures in infrared, so they have to convert it back to uh, the normal light spectrum. But it's kind of cool, and it's all this dust. But I found this interesting, and I don't know if this was truly just the software that pulled this together, and God has a sense of humor, but... What's that look like? <laughs> it looks like a face, doesn't it? And a nose right there. That, that's actually from the James Webb Space Telescope website. <laughs> that's what it looks like, the blue. Doesn't it? <laughs> and so the other, the other area where there's been a lot of... Uh, scientific development is in the uh in dna and specifically in mitochondrial or sorry y chromosomal dna and uh there's a guy named nathaniel uh, jeanson over at uh, answers in genesis and he's put together this model that gives baffling information that coincides with a timeline that fits all of earth's history in an uncanny unbelievable way and so we'll talk briefly about that. So that's kind of where we are. But first, let's look at what God has to say about it, okay? So uh, Genesis chapter 1, um, it's all right there, one chapter. We're going to read through that real quick just so that we make sure that we have the proper perspective from the only person or the only entity that witnessed the events, right? These uh, scientists talk, uh, you know, we know this happened. No, no, you don't. You don't know anything. God knows what happened, so let's read that history. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning one day. One day right? Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate waters from waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and morning and there was morning a second day. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so, and God called the dry land earth and the gathering of waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit uh, after their kind with seed in them, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed uh, in them after their kind, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, a third day. By the way, each one's only producing its kind, unlike the evolution. 
See, there, there's no fit with evolution. And we'll come back to a few more of these in a minute. Then God said, let there uh, be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And uh, let them be for signs and for uh, seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also he made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. I want you to notice that the sun and the moon here came after the vegetation. How long can the vegetation survive without the sun? Okay, so again, this, this is very counter to the evolutionary view. Then God said, let the waters uh, teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves uh, with which the water swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God, God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. Again, every kind only produces its kind. That's not what evolution says. It's again against evolution. Also the, the order, the plants first, the sea creatures and the birds, then the living creatures on the land. Then God said, uh, verse 24, then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things uh, and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of, of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing. Uh, that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth and every tree uh, which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you. And to every beast on the earth and to every bird in the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant uh, for food, and it was so. God saw all that he made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and morning the sixth day. So in six days, God created everything. Isn't it interesting that how much he emphasizes in here, each thing after its kind. It's kind of as if he knew there would be these ridiculous arguments of evolution coming later. I'm sorry, kind of as if he knew? Yeah. <laughs> that was sarcasm. That was a joke. Yeah, kind of as if he knew what was to come. Of course he knew what was to come. Right? He knew it from the beginning. So... Um, this, uh, slide, uh, this covers a lot of the topics that I have, um, explained and expressed in the past related to, um, the evidence for a young earth and a young universe. And, uh, don't worry, we're not going through much of that. I'm only going to focus on two initially. And then if there's any other topic you want to talk about, 
And you want to say, how can it be that? Well, let's have that discussion. I love those discussions. So first, there is this crisis in cosmology. And there's a whole bunch of crises, right? So there's all these different things that are happening and scientists are struggling and they're stressed and they're excited. And, and what they say though is, oh, this means that we can learn something new. Our model doesn't work, but now we can learn something new about why it doesn't work. It doesn't work because it's not the right model. So the first crisis is, there are two main methods to determine, by the way, this first crisis has been around for a few years, even before the James Webb Space Telescope. So uh, there are two main uh, methods to determine what's known as the Hubble constant. And um, the problem is they keep on using these different methods and they don't get the same answer. By the way, the Hubble constant is a constant that expresses the rate of expansion of the universe. Bet you all knew that, right? Now, the presumption or the, the, the formed conclusion that the universe is expanding, does anybody know what that's based on? Big Bang. Right? No, it's based on certain data that they observe. What's the data that they observe that makes them think that the universe is expanding? It's called redshift. So they look at light and the light is shifted to the red and they say, okay, well, that means the universe is expanding, except for the fact that the things they look at that are farther away and farther away, there's more and more and more redshift. And so what the, what's their answer? The expansion of the universe must be accelerating, right? And it's based on uh, what's known as the Doppler effect. And so they use that to say, okay, well, something moving away is going to be red shifted. Something moving towards us is going to be blue shifted. And they state it as fact over and over and over again. But they don't have the scientific basis for it. They'll claim that they do. So there's a whole lot of other things. And there's been a whole recent study about redshift. What causes redshift? And it can be caused by all kinds of different things. And basically, even a static universe, most of the other theories say that What's farther away is going to be much further redshifted than what's close in a static, non-expanding universe. Okay, but that redshift is going to be important because they have another crisis that that comes up here. So, um, the James Webb Space Telescope. This is actually another image from the James Webb Space Telescope, and it's really cool because it's it's in an area that they expected to see nothing, nothing significant. But if they did see something, they expected to see young universes or sorry young uh galaxies except they found i mean just look at all those everywhere you look those are all galaxies you don't see single stars in that entire picture they're all galaxies it's just crazy how many of them there are right and this is in an area they expect to see very little well from this image they discovered six supermassive galaxies uh, bigger than the size of our own Milky Way galaxy that shouldn't exist. They shouldn't exist in this. Actually, they even went back. There's, there's supposed to be this, quote, cosmological dark age. So after the Big Bang, there was no light because there, you, know, you didn't have stars forming. And then later some stars formed. Well, this, these galaxies that they discovered in this image they go back in basically into that dark period. How can you have a fully formed supermassive galaxy in a time period where you shouldn't even see light? 
right? Well, maybe your model's wrong. What's that? Yeah, add another billion or two, right? Because what they say is for a galaxy like, their theory says a galaxy like our Milky Way takes over a billion years to form. And yet they're seeing galaxies bigger than ours in the first 200 million years, supposedly, based on the distances and the light calculations and so on. And all of those calculations are suspect, right? Uh, because they, they, they make all kinds of assumptions in it. So crisis number three, uh, not only did they find these big galaxies, but they found way too many fully formed galaxies out there. And by the way, these are, these are just some of the earliest images from James Webb. What else are we going to find? I mean, it's just incredible. So there are way too many fully formed supermassive galaxies. They shouldn't exist. Um, there's another, um, there's another phenomena that basically says the further away galaxy, it should look bigger than what these are, but they actually are smaller than what they should look based on the mathematics. And so they're just in crisis. Uh, number four is um, the key ingredients for the making of a large mature galaxy, um, which is the, all these small, they expected to full these, find these small immature galaxies. They don't find any of them. <laughs> or they find almost none of them. How can that be? And the only way, according to their theory, to get a large galaxy like the Milky Way is for small galaxies to merge. And they don't see any merging. They don't, they don't see, there are, they see some merging, but they don't see much galaxy merging. When they look out there, they see fully formed, crystal clear, just the right mature galaxies, just like we see in the local, the local universe, right? It's incredible. Um, crisis number five is uh, this phenomenon known as dark energy. So dark energy is this created thing that's required to explain the expansion, the accelerating expansion of the universe. And so, um, but they, the problem is they need a lot of dark energy. The amount of dark energy that they need would account for 68% of the known universe. And there's another um, thing called dark matter that's uh, the next biggest piece relative to the actual universe that we can see. By the way, do you see the number of galaxies in just this one tiny little image? The fraction of the sky that this represents is minuscule. It's just incredible. So, um, the, um, the, and the next crisis is, uh, now there's a lot of cosmologists and physicists and uh, astronomers who are saying, that's a big bang theory, it's gotta go. It doesn't work. Uh, but don't worry, because their theory will not involve God. They'll change their theory, but it's not gonna be an answer that would be our answer. Um, so anyhow, the, um, and they're, like I say, their, their model violates uh, so many of the known principles of physics. So moving on. So now I'm going to shift uh, briefly. And, and by the way, uh, um, let me go back one. So there were um, Christian young earth theorists. And um, when, before the James Webb Space Telescope launched, what would you guess that they predicted would be found? 
exactly what was found. Why? Because if God created it, then it's already fully formed and mature and clear and clean. And by the way, the, um, uh, another thing. Um, when we look at what we can observe in the universe, if we do the mathematics, do you know how long it takes our solar system to get around the Milky Way galaxy? Anybody have any idea? How about a guess? Give me a guess. 10 years. 250 million years. So if you take a circle and you divide it into 360 equal parts, in the actual existence of our universe, we haven't made it one of those 360ths around our Milky Way. And you're, they're going to make predictions about all these things and how, you know, all that, these galaxies, by the way, a spiral galaxy, if it's been around for billions of years, do you think there are going to be any spirals left? No. What we observe is spiral galaxies everywhere, right? And sometimes you have these cluster galaxies. They're just different. Maybe they're just from a different perspective. But it's just, again, it, it goes on and on and on. And, and, but there are, there are a lot of physicists, astronomers, and cosmologists that are um, really hammering the current models. And they're even hammering on this uh, dark energy theory. Now, there is actual evidence supporting the dark matter, what they call cold dark matter. It's dark matter that you can't see. Um, you would probably uh, express a black hole, which we do believe as Christians, we do believe that they, they exist. That would be kind of a form of, of cold, dark matter. But there's a lot of dark matter out there that either it, and we see it on, on so if you look at this image real close, see the streaky areas? What that's called is that's called gravitational lensing which means that the mass of the galaxies that are between where we are and where that is, stretch that light out. This is called gravitational lensing. And there's actually a lot more that will probably be learned um, as they piece together the lensing of the different views and what they can see in the future and even see further out in space. So anyhow, just a little bit more geekiness for you. Yes, sir. On Christmas Day. 2021. You know, I can project, but let's not. <laughs> um, I don't know why. Yeah. So now I want to talk about this concept called genetic entropy. What is entropy? Does anybody know what entropy is? Sir. Okay. And what does it say? I am so glad there are other geeks in this room. I really am. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Ed. You too. <laughs> um, I described it uh, pretty simply. It is this gradual decline from uh, a state of order to disorder. There's a lot of other descriptions for it. Um, and genetic entry, entropy is a gradual decline from perfect DNA coding 
Who would have had perfect DNA? Adam and Eve. That's right. Two not so perfect DNA. Just look at me, right? Um, and, and so what is it and how does it happen? Well, our genetic code, it degrades over the course of our lives. That's why we age, right? It also degrades, uh, and it degrades because of radiation, you know, there, uh, there's, there's these things called neutrinos. Anybody know what a re- neutrino is? Nah, don't answer that. Don't worry about it. Neutrinos um, fly through us uh, millions, millions, maybe trillions per second uh, fly through us. We don't even notice them. Uh, there's all kinds of other radiation that hits us, and it damages our DNA. And DNA gets damaged for other reasons as well. Well, our great God gave us a mechanism to for our bodies to repair its own DNA, but it's not perfect, right? And so over the course of our lives and from generation to generation, we have these mutations, which is caused by the radiation and and these things that harm our DNA, okay? It's entropy. It's the exact opposite of what evolutionists would say. So instead of it going up, and these uh, mutations having value, they have no value because it's genetic code. It's a, the most sophisticated code you'll ever hear of. And you know some code, right? It's the most sophisticated code that has ever existed because not only uh, is it kind of linear, but it also, it's three-dimensional, the way it comes together and the way it functions. It's the most fascinating thing. But even with all of the, degradation that we've had since the beginning of uh, our creation, we can still function for the most part. But genetic entropy, it actually fits the biblical history. Think about the long lives of the pre-flood people. How long did people live before the flood? 900 years, almost a thousand, Methuselah, um, um, what was it, um, Nine nine sixty nine nine yeah, um, even Adam lived what nine hundred thirty years. I mean these crazy long lives. Anybody here want to live that long? Knowing this earth, no. <laughs> Rather go home to be with the Lord, right? But it gives us it fits right because if you had the perfect code before and the whole genetic the whole gene pool was narrowed to eight people at the flood. And so you've lost all that genetic information. And by the way, when you, um, when you breed dogs and you try to get certain, or horses or, you know, pick some cats, whatever. I don't know who in their right mind would breed cats, but, you know. Um, but you're not gaining information. You're taking away from the genetic pool that's there. And by the time you get to that cute little Smash nose, whatever it is, it's adorable and it's sickly as can be, right? And they got allergies and they've got this problem and that problem and they certainly couldn't function on their own in the wild, right? Don't worry, we got one of those fuzzy looking cute little things also, but, um, you know, of no value for hunting or anything like that, right? Um, so so it, the, it explains things very well. When you look at the differences in our skin color, 
if the original human started out as this medium tone, but they had the genetics to go to dark or light color for the melanin, it explains it. You've got the characteristics of everything. But once you get the narrowing of the gene pool, excuse me, but we're just like those dogs. <laughs> we get our gene pools narrowed and we don't have the resistance to disease. We don't have the resistance to whatever, whatever it may be. You know, it explains giants. You have the propensity for really big people and really small people, right? And so uh, you don't have an, any better way to explain that. Um, look at the intellectual capacity of the ancient Egyptians. They built these pyramids. We can't even figure out how they did it, much less how we would do it today in a reasonable time period. And there's other things. There's these giant megalithic, um, this is a granite uh, rock. This is like 10 feet tall, by the way, and 18 or 20 feet long. This was cut from a single piece of granite. And the inside walls of this kind of looks like a sarcophagus, but it's not. They're perfectly square. And the edges, the corners are perfectly square. And you get down to the corner on the bottom and it's perfectly square. We can't even cut and polish granite like that today. We don't have the ability from a megalithic structure. And, and the, oh, by the way, this is inside this underground area that's tunnels. How do you even get it there? I don't know, but they knew how, right? So my argument would be that we don't even have, have a fraction of the in intellectual capacity that these ancient people had. What we do have is more knowledge and more saved knowledge, more consolidated knowledge. Um, and so we also have, um, uh, we have these uh, other megalithic structures. Uh, uh, I think I lost it, but there's a, um, I can't really fix it. But there are, there are these stone walls, for example, at Machu Picchu, that have all kinds of different dimensions cut on them. We don't know how to do that. And they were qu cut from quarries thousands of miles or hundreds of miles away and up and down mountains. I don't know how, but they're there. You can look at the evidence, they're there. How did they get there? We can't do that today. So, um, and of course we have this increasing sickness and disease. So, um, there's this guy, his name is Nathaniel Jeanson. Um, he's involved with um, the Institute, or sorry, Answers in Genesis. And um, he has studied the data that came from these human genome projects. And specifically, he looked at the Y chromosomal data. And the Y chromosome is passed from father to son. Women don't have it. And so it's, it's the history of men, more or less. Well, if you take my Y chromosomal uh, uh, DNA, and my son's Y chromosomal DNA, it's going to be almost exactly the same, except for a few errors, few mutations. This is that genetic entropy. Okay. Well, it just so happens that Dr. Jeanson figured out that that actually is a timestamp because the amount of the differences represent a timeline. So now if you have a timeline... And you take me and, you know, you take Paul Hawkins over there, you know, you can look at the differences between our DNA and figure out with the number of differences how far back we have to go before we have a common ancestor. 
And if you take that with all the people that have been studied, you can actually build a kind of a map. That's what you see on the right-hand side here. This is a uh, genetic map of people groups all around the world. And so you can trace it back to common ancestors. One common ancestor with a timestamp of about 4,400 years ago. Why not 6,000 years ago? Flood. Flood. And the sons of Noah would have the same genetic Y chromosome data as Noah. It goes back to a single human being about 4,400 years ago. What's actually more impressive than that, um, by the way, um, talking about geeking out, um, I watched uh, at least 25 or 27 40-minute videos by Dr. Jensen <laughs> on this whole subject, talking about all kinds of details. And like I said earlier, my wife loves when I watch that stuff. <laughs> so, um, can I sure. Didn't they do something like that with the female? The mitochondrial DNA. The mitochondrial yes. And guess what they came to? Guess how many individuals they came back to? How many what? Individuals they tracked it back to. A very small okay. <laughs> Who would those women be? Well, they gave the impression in the article that it was going away. They would. Th those three would be the wives of Noah's sons. Came back to three. Now, the timestamp data on the mitochondrial DNA is not as good, not as robust as the Y chromosomal DNA. Um, so anyhow, it's it very interesting. So, um, and again, it's the, I already explained most of this, but it really is a smoking gun for a young earth because what's even more impressive, uh, what's almost crazy you know, the data coincides with um, this 4,400 years, but what's more impressive is you can actually see in the data these major world powers. And the timestamp corresponds to the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greeks, the Romans, and much more recent, the Mongol invasions. And there's massive expansions in these uh, you can't really see that as well oh sorry about that i see it really much better on my screen so but you see these branching activities that get really broad branches when you have those invasions and then they trace back to those exact peoples it's just fascinating um and so um it's really hard to refute now again if you have this view that there is no God, you're going to come up with an explanation and you're going to argue with this and you're never going to believe. It's just what they think. Any thoughts or questions? Sir? I recently watched the documentary is Genesis History. Yeah. And they have a lot of this, like the, 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 uh, the dinosaur stretchiness mm -hmm. yeah, was in there. Yeah. And they talk about Everything of its kind. There's yeah. no missing link. Yeah. They're looking for and that was a secular scientist mm -hmm. who found the, the dinosaur soft tissue. Yeah. And uh, Mary Schweitzer. And she didn't believe it. 
And so she went back and she went back and she went back and she went back. Now she professes herself to be a Christian, but she doesn't know the Bible at all. And so she then argued that somehow, some way, 65 million years ago, this was preserved. So that, it's laughable, right? America, that, like mm-hmm. you talked about in Utah and the Grand Canyon, how all that stuff was just yeah. put in place and water drained. So, so that same guy has done more is Genesis history's sort of sub or later on uh, documentaries. Really good, uh, really good. Some final thoughts. Uh, let's stop as believers. Let's stop accepting these blasphemous statements. And let's even help our Christian brothers and sisters to not be susceptible to these no-God theories. There is no compatibility. If you know Genesis chapter 1, you can argue clearly and concisely, and I, I say even bring it up and say, how is it you can believe, you must not believe Genesis chapter 1 if you say you're a Christian. And you believe in evolution. Because they don't fit. They're not compatible. Not whatsoever. By the way, what kind of an inferior God would need to create things that... I mean, you saw the universe pictures, right? I mean, that God that created that isn't going to create perfectly formed human beings? And creatures? On your chart That's exactly right. Um, He missed Noah. Uh, There was one generation, I think. I don't think he saw Noah, but he would have known of Noah. And I could go back to it. I I might be wrong about that, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Noah lived 500 years uh, beforehand, and and then he was told. And and, and so there's about 1,500 years, if I recall correctly, uh, so it, there might have been a little bit of overlap there, but it's on the chart, and you would see it. Um, so, you know, God was the only witness to the events of creation. These uh, atheists who state these so-called facts or state things, their theories as facts, they have no knowledge, they have no information, and they will be accountable for what they think and what they say. Um, even without the science and the evidence, creation itself is witness to the existence of God. Most non-believers uh, will be uh, very difficult to convince, as I mentioned, for the same reason that atheists exist. They just, they need an answer that says there is no God. And they're going to stick to that no matter what, unless God pulls them from their death of sin. More ev- evidence will come But even then, they'll just keep on changing their theories. So predictions with this James Webb Space Telescope, they're going to keep on finding more and more and more fully formed galaxies. They're going to find uh, things at greater and greater, greater redshift, which means they're further and further and further away. And they'll be fully formed and they'll have everything that a mature galaxy would have in the Big Bang Theory will change. It... They're not going to accept the answers. And by the way, when I, when I listen to these cosmologists talk about this, 
There is no answer. None of them ever say, well, maybe those Christians were right. I've never heard them say that, nor will they ever. Uh, Maybe one might, but uh, I haven't seen it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for all that you have done for us. We didn't deserve anything. You saved us when we were dead in our sins, and there's nothing that we can do to repay you. But while we're still here, let us be ready and willing and able to defend uh, what you have given us. Let us share the truth, whether people really want to hear it or not. Um, And if um, by some means we get to participate in one of those works that you created before time began where we can uh, be part of the planning, the sowing, the watering, and somebody comes to faith, well, hallelujah and all glory to you. But um, we thank you for this, Lord. We thank you for the the science and the perspective. And we just pray that um, we can glorify you with the the information that we've been given. We have that responsibility that obligation. We love you, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.